it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 7669. Two very different guests coming up at this hour. I can't forget what they do. One is a great quarterback, and the other one's a great economist. I think you're the economist, even more. The senior <laughs> no, fellow. The, a great qu- quarterback. Oh, I'm sorry, my fault. I gotta, I gotta really yell at my producer. A senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, economist with the Freedom Works, and a key advisor to President Trump. Uh, and we have a lot to discuss today, including we're watching the Queen's health, Queen Elizabeth. They're evidently putting some. Uh, you know, I was on Fox and Friends. We the last half hour is all about the Queen's health because they basically said they're making her comfortable. And at 96 years old, after serving for 70 years, they never have made statements like that. Uh, so it usually is grave to follow. So we'll cover that. Uh, so let's before we get to Stephen and talk about these new economic data, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. People are struggling to pay their bills. To make ends meet, food prices in the last year are up 13% across the United States. That's the fastest increase in food prices since 1979. That is Senator John Barrasso, the Republican. How is the economy treating you? Stat show, polls confirming Americans are feeling the squeeze everywhere. On vacations, gas, groceries, as your top concerns, economy and inflation. Democrats and Republicans say the same thing. A third of you don't have enough money to meet your family's basic needs. That's Americans' reality. Number two. At what point do we hold people accountable? At what point do we hold people behind bars and understand that locking them up and depriving them from being in the public is the best solution to the problem? That is Brandon Tatum, uh, a law enforcement expert. Crime killing America with fewer cops, zero cash bail, and an unwillingness to lock up career criminals. Our streets are overrun with thugs. Just look at the cover of the New York Post. Look at uh, what's happened in Memphis again. Another shooting spree caught live on social media. When will safety and security be a priority again? Number one. The radical congresswoman opening up on her own shot at the presidency, but she says the country is too sexist for it to happen. My experience here has given me a front row seat to how deeply and unconsciously, as well as consciously, so many people in this country hate women. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Jesse Waters quoting AOC and GQ. 2022 polls, debates and themes queued up and launched as we start our 60 days sprint to the midterms as leader McCarthy lays out his a version of the America contract with America. He wants to become speaker. Will this help? I know when Senator uh, Scott came out and put out his policies when he talked about reexamining and moving uh, Social Security and Medicare was easily uh, spun as he wants to destroy both programs was not helpful to the Republican cause. Uh, with me right now, as promised, Stephen Moore. Stephen, welcome. Hey, Brian. Great to be with you. So first off, I, when I saw this study, we thought about you immediately because it just looks as though this is instead of talking about GDP right. and, uh, the, and, um, and the interest rates, we want to talk about r- the real economy. And it turns out most people are feeling the pinch. Yep. And according to, a, uh, uh, according to this study, in fact, it was just out, they have um, Inflation. Gallup survey found that the, even even wealthy and middle class families were feeling the pinch from inflation, forcing them to spend less on groceries and basic items. Six percent of Americans say inflation is causing financial hardship. 
12% say they're experiencing severe hardship, and 69, uh, 69 million Americans are canceling vacations mm-hmm. uh, and changing the way they live. 56% of Americans now say inflation is, uh, is uh, something of great concern to them. So with that, the great concern, why are we focusing on anything else? Great point. And, and people should understand that what the, the kind of match that lit this forest fire of runaway inflation was the uh, $3 trillion of debt spending last year, Brian. And then we followed that up with another $1 to $2 trillion of new debt spending this year. By the way, that's on top of the normal budget that we pass every year. And when you print money like that, you're going to have inflation as sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. And so – the Biden's solution seems to be spend more and more and borrow more and more, which is pouring gasoline on a fire, forest fire. Um, but he keeps saying, well, I cut the deficit. You know, I love that line. First of all, let's be very clear about this, folks. There is no president in the history of the United States that has won more damage to America's fiscal future than Joe Biden. I mean, no one ever – no one else even comes close. I mean, in 18 months, he has spent, borrowed, and printed – Four trillion dollars. And so here's what he's saying. And when the okay. pandemic was in the back end, we already had the vaccine. Exactly. We were going back yeah. to work. We were going back exactly. to school. I mean, the economy would be booming if Trump were still president. Now, here's the thing. Here's where they get this. I want people to understand how they use math in such a crazy way. So he first comes in in his first year. He spends and borrows three trillion. Remember, because he had the American Recover, quote, American Recovery Act and he had the, quote, uh, infrastructure bill. And then he said, oh, this year I'm only spending an extra trillion dollars. So I'm actually cutting spending by $2 trillion. That's the math, folks. It's a, it makes no sense. So you up the uh, as much you're spending, <laughs> you have as much you're spending, and it seems as though you, you cut the deficit. Exactly. So uh, right now when people, when average everyday people – uh, feel the pinch. It said uh, they say inflation's going down. It was at nine point two percent. Now it's at eight point five percent. But if the average wage has gone up five yes. percent, you see that America feels it uh, already. And you say that we've adjusted the driving, which has yeah. helped get gas prices down. But it's out of necessity, not out of necessarily responsibility. Exactly. So there's no question about it that this past summer, that kind of summer season that just has come to an end. You had actually lower driving rates than you did in 2021, which was during the pandemic, which is pretty incredible. And that's because people couldn't afford $6 a gallon gasoline. They couldn't – they just couldn't – didn't have it in their budget. Now, there's good news and bad news on the economy. Which do you want first? Uh, the good news. I do think inflation is starting to come down. You know, you're seeing the gas Excellent. price come down. So, Is that because the interest rates are going up? Uh, it's because it's basically because well no that's the bad news part of the story so the you know I do think we're going to get inflation down to maybe five percent that's still a lot of inflation but it's not ten, nine and ten percent we're used to one to two percent exactly the the Fed's target is two percent so five percent is still a long way off from where we should be now here's my point though you asked why is the inflation rate coming down because the economy not just in the United States and the world is just sh- really shutting down. This is a very dangerous time for people. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but, you know, every indicator I'm looking at, Brian, manufacturing, construction, housing, small business confidence, they're all headed south right now. I've talked to a major CEO in the last couple of days. I'm not going to mention his name because it was a private conversation, but he runs one of the biggest shipment companies in the world. And he said that their shipments are down about 20%. That means the economy has really hit a brick wall because he's like one of the first indicators. So we're in for some tough times. We're going to pay a high price, folks, 
for this modern monetary theory, which is what Democrats they, – they really believe, Brian, that they can spend and spend and spend and borrow and borrow and borrow by the trillions of dollars and it's not going to have a negative effect. That's like saying you could run up your credit card by hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars and it's not going to have a negative effect on you. Of course it will. Bills no. have to be repaid. I think that's true. Also, the fact is I think 30 million Chinese are shut down again because of their zero yep. COVID policy. A lot uh, of them that do disaster. manufacturing jobs and have American companies as their uh, contracts with American companies. Plus, if China is not uh, doing their own economy, it, the demand drops. And that's part of the reason you tell me you're the expert, yes. Stephen, that gas prices are going down. Yeah, now, like, that's absolutely true. But there's another part of this that even worries me more than China. Europe is a disaster, total disaster. I mean, Europe is in a severe recession already. Uh, in, in London, we were talking offline. People are paying $10, $11 a gallon for gas. And the, <laughs> and the people are demanding some type of supplement from stipend the government, from the right, government to be to able pay to pay for, for And then you've, you're looking at um, electric power costs that have doubled in you know, for the average family in in countries like Spain, Italy, and France, and Germany, and it's and then you wonder why is that happening? And then you go, oh yeah, do you know what these Europeans have done for the last ten years? They've moved to this green energy nonsense, and it just doesn't work. It's not scalable. You can't provide enough electric power with windmills, and so now you know this is an amazing thing, Brian. People aren't going to believe this, <clears throat> and, and they're so energy starved right now. And some of these European countries, they're using firewood <laughs> to heat their homes. There's a lot of people buying this wood This is like here, the like Stone crazy. Ages we're living in. Uh, by the way, I don't know how that's good for the environment, but also Nord It's Stream, not. It's terrible. Nord Stream it's, 1, by the way, is basically <clears throat> going to be shut down. But the Europeans have made moves to get natural gas to maybe get them through the winter. Uh, but I think long-term, Russia's made a huge mistake. You know, they wipe out their great customer in a couple of years. That customer will never come back if they're smart. <laughs> well, here's the thing. The guy who got this all right is Trump. Was Trump. And remember that. He didn't want Nord Stream 2. He did. And he also was the one who wagged his finger. Remember that famous video that you've shown on Fox News where he's waving his fingers at the Germans saying, do not get hooked on Russian oil and gas. And they laughed at him. Merkel laughed at him. Mm -hmm. And he was completely He's an East German uh, by trade. (laughs) Here's a Senator John Thune on something else that gets under your skin. And this is student loan forgiveness. Cut 20. The president with a stroke of the pen. Um, with his student loan forgiveness program, literally added, uh, according to the Penn Wharton budget model, $600 billion to a trillion dollars to the debt. So, so much for um, deficit reduction. And the idea that this is actually canceled or forgiven is a misnomer. This is simply debt that is being transferred from the 13% of the people in this country who have student loans to the 87% of people in this country who don't have student loans. It's a slap in the face to people who have worked hard to pay their loans off, people who didn't have the opportunity to go to college in the first place. So he sees a ripple effect. Who was that, by the way? That was Senator John Thune. Thune. So uh, we don't know if that's going to go through. It's, you, that's, you could sue for that. Someone's got to find standing to sue. What has Congress got to challenge this? Well, first of all, I agree with everything John Thune said. He said it brilliantly. It's it's patently unfair. It's transfer. It's not it's a transfer. And you know, Brian, uh, I do as as you know a, a show on uh, WABC in New York on Saturday afternoons. We call it the More Money Show, and and I love to take callers. You know, because I learn so much from just 
hearing what people are thinking. And the last couple of weeks, I've taken callers on this issue of, of, of student loan forgiveness. And not only people are opposed to it, they're angry about it. They're, Americans hate this idea. It's just, it's just fundamentally unfair. And so um, I, I have a re- – look, the Constitution is very clear, Brian. The spending power rests with who? Congress. Congress. Not, not the president. Not the president. Now, he, do you know how he's, take, he's asserting the authority to do this? Through the COVID emergency. <laughs> what does this have to do with COVID? Nothing. <laughs> and COVID's over. So it, I believe this is an unconstitutional power grab by President uh, Biden, and I think it's going to be overturned. Yeah, uh, we will see. Um, one, one quick thing. I want you to hear this soundbite from Mark Cuban on stage on Vox great. talking about his anger at one senator in particular. Cut 21. I don't mind being taxed more. I've, I wrote a blog 20 years ago saying it's the most patriotic thing you can do after military service is pay your taxes because that's what allows everybody, you know, to, to live and to prosper. Um, but, yeah, the idea of just soak the rich, billionaire tears, tears that sell that cup. Mm-hmm. Screw you, Elizabeth Warren. You're everything wrong with politics. Uh, listen, I agree. And here's a self-made success story. Is it tired of being the bad guy? Uh, you know, why don't we celebrate, you know, our entrepreneurs, our great people who've gr- built great companies, whether they're Mark Zuckerberg or Fred Smith of FedEx or Mark Cuban or, uh, you know, all of these amazing, amazing entrepreneurs. And th- we need to – you made this point earlier on Fox and Friends, and it's so right. We need to elevate and celebrate success in America because the people who gre- build great companies – are the people who create so many of the jobs in this country. And I hate this idea. You know, I wrote this, read this great book, Brian, that I want to recommend to your listeners called The Myth of the Robber Barons. Have you ever heard of that book? No. It's a fantastic book. And, you know, there's this mythology that our kids are learning in school that people like Henry Ford, Vanderbilt, J.P. Morgan, the Rockefellers were, quote, robber barons. No, they weren't. They built this country. They built this country. They built the railroads. They provided the energy. They built the banks and the financial system. And we – these historians act as if they're villains. No, they weren't villains. Right. I mean think about – I was down in Detroit at the Henry Ford Museum and I had a chance to see everything that he built. And the, Amazing. He didn't just say here's a factory, go to work and go home. He helped build that town, those cities. He gave them parks. He gave them vacations, gave them weekends off. He gave a sense of community. And guess what? A lot of those families stayed there forever whose kids also worked in the area. They felt part of Ford. And that generational push was something that Henry Ford created, not the perfect person. Great great story in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about a, a great American who just died, Herbert Kohler. Kohler, the Kohler company in the middle of Wisconsin, built every toilet in the world. <laughs> K-O-E-H-L-E-R. Yeah. And, you know, it's an amazing story. This entrepreneur in the middle of Wisconsin in the prairie, you know, built this company. And you go anywhere in the world. And sinks. And, and you know, I, I, I think I have a Kohler sink. Yeah, uh, right. Exactly. So this family built the whole thing. Yeah. So if you work for that company, do you hate the founder? <laughs> exactly. Do you hate the executive? <laughs> what you do is you appreciate. I want them to be rich. I yeah. want them to be ridiculously rich. And guess what? The people that support the charities in this country are the people that become affluent if they have a heart, which 99.9% of them do. They feel very fortunate to have made it. And how many people do you know more than I'll ever know that make it and give? And then 
there is a solution to this problem. It is true that some people, some rich people get away with paying no taxes. And the solution to that is something my buddy Steve Forbes has talked about for 30 years. Flat tax. Let's just have a flat tax. <laughs> get rid of all the deductions and loopholes. I love this idea of Biden saying, you know, oh, we have all these loopholes in the tax code. Well, Joe, who put him there? Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. been in Congress for 40 That's years. It. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> he acted like it, was got, it got by him. He was on the train on Amtrak. <laughs> Stephen Moore, thanks so much. Senior Fellow with Heritage Economists with Freedom Works. Always great to talk to Steve. What time we get your show on Saturday? Uh, it's called the More Money Show, M-O-O-R-E. <laughs> and it streams on WABC. It does. And it is on at 1 p.m. And uh, Brian, thanks again so much for having me. It's been a great morning. Great to see you, Steve. Yep. Uh, back in a moment. And at 9.45 or 45 after, Dan Marino, Hall of Famer, joins us in studio. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is the direction he's moving. It's not going to be pretty. Uh, what he said there was sort of semi-incoherent about MAGA Republicans. If, it, if he isn't talking about any Trump supporters being a threat to the country, who's he talking about? But, but you get the idea. They want Donald Trump's name and persona to be front and center in this election. They believe, do Democrats, that that will help them. The president, obviously, is no exception to that view. And that's where we are. And the president and, and former President Trump, of course, he doesn't. He doesn't mind this at all. He always likes to be the center of attention, for better or for worse. And right, but, but President Trump is in the middle of there. We'll see. Uh, but I don't think it's going to last. Number one, I think the Mar-a-Lago raid is supposed to really subside 60 days before an election. We're at that point. You're not supposed to do things that are political leading up to an election, especially when it has to do with the DOJ. But the big what they're saying is, what President Biden says, it's those few people who deny elections, the election results, and January 6th. If anyone has read what Karl Rove has written uh, in today's editorial in the Wall Street Journal, it goes back to 2005 when people like John Conyers, uh, people like uh, James Clyburn, uh, people like now Senator Markey uh, said that and tried to protest and tried to flip the electoral votes in Ohio and flip it to John Kerry, which would have given him the presidency. And, of course, that wasn't true. There was nothing based on that. Also, uh, there was there was a lawmaker who questioned the integrity of voting machines. And Nancy Pelosi, of all things, said, hey, you know what? Uh, it's worth investigating. It's not a conspiracy theory. We just want to make sure democracy is working. Man, she has certainly changed her tune, right? I don't think that what Donald Trump did was right. But I think that to say that for the last 15 years, Democrats have not gone out of their way to challenge every election they lost is also wrong. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. When Trump became president... 
I think people were so very shocked, even considering the Electoral College and, and that sort of thing. The assumption was, at least mine, I'll speak for myself, that Russia must have been involved because we knew from the Mueller report that Russia had some involvement. Russia thought that, they, that, that it could benefit from a Trump presidency, which it did, by the way. Um, but I remember calling him an illegitimate president, and that was wrong. I should not right. have said that because he was not a, an illegitimate but president. But that was how you felt. You had every well, right and to that say it. See, they don't even get it. Where I wanted to play that because uh, to balance out, everybody thinks Donald Trump is the one and only, and, and most clear people, clear thinking people don't that aren't ridiculously biased, was the only one to protest an election. And as I said over and over again, Donald Trump's actions after the election results were his lowest point yet in the, the January 6th riots. And I don't know anybody that supports him. Nobody that I know supports him. But they want to characterize Donald Trump as the problem and anyone who follows him as the issue, and it's not the case. We played a Sonny Hostin yesterday on, I think that's how you say her name, Hostin, uh, on The View saying she was wrong to question the results of the 2016 election. That's what has to happen. If you want to unify the country, that's what President Biden should be saying. Hey, I was, you know, I didn't like gaveling down a bunch of my people in my party when I was vice president, and I think it was wrong what happened with the Republicans this time. Carly, yes, oh, I'm correct. sorry. Carly Shimkus is here. <laughs> you, she's filling in for Angelie today on Fox and Friends, and now she's helping yeah. us out. And it's, this has been the weirdest week because of this one speech that was supposed to be, I guess, the kickoff to him finally jumping full bore into the midterm elections and, you know, delivering that big message with the red background. Stop the was, red wave. Yeah, and you know that the Biden administration was saying, okay, you're, you're uh, a Approval ratings are finally taking up. This could be the moment that changes things for you. And instead, for the past week, they have been clarifying and walking back and then inching forward. And it has been a total dis- – it has been a total disaster. I so you don't so. even know really what he's talking about because initially he makes this speech and people rightfully so criticized him and said, you just insulted half of the country that voted for your political opponent. Is that really how you feel? He said, no, 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 I'm just talking about congressional leadership. And then yesterday you get the further clarification that he says, well, I'm actually talking about only some people from Congress. Yeah, listen to this. Cut to. Mr. President, do you consider all Trump supporters to be a threat to the country? Come on, look, guys. You keep trying to make that case. I don't consider any Trump supporter to be a threat to the country. Can't have it both ways. So it's sort of like, okay, so then what were you really talking about? That a couple people within the within the Republican Party are people you consider extreme? I mean... No, duh. There's also that in the Democratic Party. Did we really need a full-fledged presidential speech over this? No. In terms of, yeah, here's a little bit more attempt at uh, clarification. Uh, the the worst press, press secretary ever on whether Mitch McConnell is a right. is a threat. Is he is he a MAGA Republican? Being that he's not really speaking to him. Do we have that one? Let's listen. President Biden has said that not every Republican is a MAGA Republican. Would he consider Mitch McConnell a MAGA Republican? I'm not going to go into specific uh, name or people uh, from here. <laughs> what I will say is, you know, when you go back to the speech, uh, his speech last Thursday, uh, you know, people have talked about uh, if it was divisive. It wasn't divisive. 
Okay, there you go. Oh. So you were wrong, Carly. I, I was wrong. Right, you were misinterpreting. You were listening to it. I, and I, that sh- was the I shouldn't have been insulted. I'm so right. sorry. How am I apologizing <laughs> right now? Uh, what really is happening right now is that, um, and it is interesting if this is a smart strategy or not. We don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. What Democrats in the Biden administration are trying to do is put Republicans on the defense. They're trying to put Trump on the ballot. Uh, because they, you know, Biden beat him once and they say if Trump is on the ballot and on the forefront of independence minds, that could work in our favor, even though he's not on the ballot. And then we're not talking about the issues. We're right. not talking about inflation and crime and all the other things that are really, really hurting the American people. Right. So the, the Kevin McCarthy is going to roll out his idea of contract for America. He's going to call it commitment to America plan. And in it, he's going to Break it down to four parts. He's going to announce it tomorrow. An economy which is strong. How do you get it that way? Fixing the, and moving the supply chains out of China uh, into Asia and maybe Central America. A nation that's safe. He's going to focus on uh, uh, crime across the country and get rid of these DAs. When it comes to highlighting the migration policies, the U.S.-Mexican border is going to bring up the wall and everything else mm-hmm. that goes along with it. And the future that is uh, free, outlining policies concerning public schools and a government that is accountable. So you'd be able to take that money like Arizona and go to a private school yes. instead of just sitting in a public school. So he's right. If he could do that, uh, you, need, you, need, you need the Senate, too. Right. But it is smart for him in the political position of power that he's in to outline something very simple and say, because a lot of reporters now that we're getting two weeks, uh, two months from the midterm elections are going to say, you know, you criticize Democrats a lot. What is your plan? And to have, you know, a four point bullet point thing or whatever it is that he's going to release, say, this is exactly what we're focusing on. If you want to vote Republican, this is what we're bringing to the table. It'll be very easy for uh, Republicans to then answer that question. Yeah. uh, A couple of things uh, on the polls. Uh, look what's happening in Florida. We have so many affiliates in Florida. You think DeSantis have a double-digit lead over Charlie Crist, who's now in his third party from independent to Republican governor to now he wants to be Democratic governor? He's only got a three-point lead over Ron DeSantis uh, in the latest ARP poll, saying Marco Rubio's got a two-point lead over Val Demings, who's supposed to – he's supposed to be in a tough race because she's got that law enforcement background. Mm-hmm. But he's got the endorsement, I think, of 27 sheriffs in yeah. Florida. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens with these individual Senate races. And some of them are flipping a little bit better for Republicans. Others are. But overall, Brian, um, interesting that you mentioned Florida and how you think that uh, um, Marco Rubio and DeSantis should be up higher than they are. Yes. And that's also what's happening in a lot of other races right now, even in the House. And a lot of it has to do with suburban women and Roe versus Wade. And um, that is. According to, I believe it was a recent AP poll that they said that that issue is polling even uh, more important than the economy. Wow. And that's yeah. the thing that's really, really hurting some Republicans. So now you have some Republican candidates sort of changing their tune on their election websites and not saying things like they're pro-life anymore. They're saying that they don't want you know full a third trimester abortion. Well, I would think it was very interesting when Marco Rubio told us last week, he said, and if I could paraphrase, I'm pro-life. But not everyone in Florida is pro-life, so I'm very cognizant I can't speak for all people on that. So the compromise – and Ron DeSantis hasn't rang in on this either. The compromise is I think 15 weeks is what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's what Governor Youngkin said, yeah, I'm leaving that in place. Which, by the way, is um, insanely high. It just uh, – no, I'm no surprise I'm pro-life. But uh, how far um, – how far I'm 18 weeks. I, I could I – could, I, I could hear the baby's heartbeat at – 
10 weeks, which is really eight weeks, actually six weeks because they yeah. – it's not to talk weeks, weeks, but they add two weeks to what you really are. Um, at six weeks, you can hear the heartbeat. At 15 weeks, um, the baby was already fully formed. You could even hear your voice from inside your body. I mean it is unbelievable. At 15 weeks, I was thinking about it. And in New York, uh, I could still abort my child for another – let's see, I'm eight. Um, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, six weeks. Wow. Six weeks. I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to take it there. No, but I, didn't, then, no, I didn't mean to. It's the best uh, personal view. Uh, are you in tomorrow? I am, yeah. Tomorrow's Friday, right? Right. Are we you in it. tomorrow Fox and Friends first or Fox and Friends? Fox and Friends first. Ainsley's back, I believe. All right. I'll toss to you generously. Oh, thank you. Right now, or is this a deep tease for tomorrow? Tomorrow. Okay, okay, cool. Really deep. Like (laughs) Pacific Ocean, bottom of the ocean, Titanic deep. 24 hours from now. Coming up next, Dan Marino. Very similar to Kali Shimkus. I might ask him the exact same questions. (laughs) Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Dan Marino is the new quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Took Pittsburgh to four poles in the four years he was playing there. All-time passing leader for Pittsburgh. Raiders are looking for the shutout. What's remaining of the crowd is shouting defense. Marino, diving catch, Joe Rose. What a great throw, though. Great diving catch on a timing pass from Dan Marino, who is also under pressure, showing a lot of cool. That was 1983, week three. Dan Marino replaces David Woodley. Uh, David Woodley, didn't he bring the, the Cowboys, excuse me, the Dolphins to the Super Bowl? He did, the year before. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, that's so was, my, actually, it was my first touchdown. That was my first touchdown. That was touchdown. your first touchdown. Yeah. Good was, job, Pete. Way yeah, to pull that out. It was uh, Monday Night Football, too. And, of course, that was Frank Gifford. Yep, Frank uh, Gifford, Howard Cosell. What are your uh, thoughts when you're hearing that, Dan Marino? Uh well, I wish I was a rookie again. You loved it. You just loved <laughs> oh yeah, it. no, love playing for sure. But do you remember and, how uh, nervous you must have been? Um, or I don't. Were you? I mean, I felt pretty good about who I was at the time and how I was, you know, how I played football. That I thought that I would have a good chance to have a nice career. And and uh, I mean, you're always you always get a little, you know, not anxious, nervous, and that's a good thing. You know, butterflies before a game. You uh, was it hard to digest the playbook at that age? We keep seeing how thick the playbooks are today. Yeah. So you might be physically ready, but did you understand the plays in week three of your rookie year? Um, I had a pretty good idea. There was times that I, when I didn't like call the plays right, you know, I would mess them up in a huddle, and I'd have one of our veteran players like tight end. Maybe I think it was like Nat Moore. I said, "You call the play," and I'd say, "It's on two. Let's go." So, you would say it to him. Oh yeah, yeah. I said, "I, I screwed it up." Call to play. So and, was, well, I mean, is that unusual? Um, I mean, for you, I mean, for somebody to come in and just say, "Hey, listen, if you know the, if you know this better, you call it." Yeah, I think it is unusual. I, mean, I only did it, I only did it a couple times, though. I understand. Cool. Uh, I want to talk uh, first off. Uh, we always love seeing you, uh, and I know this is the part of your life where you get to relax and pick and choose what you endorse. And I've seen you on television, Nutrisystem, over the last few years. Yes. You're back. And why? Because your metabolism well, slows down, especially when you get older. I know that. Very true. Yes. And then you got to make sure what you eat. You have an, I have an unforgiving metabolism. Nutrisystem for you has really been a help. And, now, and, you, and you're signed with them. Yes, yes. I've uh, worked with Nutrisystem for years. And, you know, I had my knees done uh, over a year ago because I was really, I couldn't even hardly exercise or had trouble walking up the steps and all those things. And. 
and I had, I gained some weight. So I had to, you know, find a way to lose it again. And I uh, just got back on Nutrisystem, and and uh, they have uh, it's been great for me. And I mean, I you know, I just recommend to you know any any you know men that want to lose some weight. It's the best thing is that it's pretty simple. You know, it's simple. It comes right to your door. You follow the system, the program, and you know the weight comes off, and it just makes you feel so much better. That's the whole thing. How does it work with your family? Like oh, when you go to sit, the, they're like, "Okay, that's yeah, you know, eat, Dan's food." Yeah, they eat something else. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. So it comes packaged, and where do you go? Uh, I think you go to Nutrisystem. Well, I don't know, but Nutrisystemformen dot com. Oh, yeah, Nutrisystemformen dot com. Yeah, yeah, you do yeah. know, uh, yeah. Pug. Yeah, if you write in Dan's deal, you get fifty percent off plus twenty five dollars off. Uh, your first visit. Yes, perfect, right? So, yeah, sign up, and they, they, you know, the thing about it is it's just it'll make you feel so much better, especially when you, you're losing weight, you know, your self-esteem, all those things, you know, go sky high. Absolutely. So, Dan, if I can get back to football for a second. Yeah, yeah, sure. Just uh, I want you to, to hear this, your coach talking about winning the 1984 AFC Championship game. Coach Shula, had to be a gratifying day for you. Well, we won the day the way that we've been winning all year long. We just went after them, and uh, the first drive offensively was a thing of beauty, and uh, Dan threw the uh, quick touchdown pass to Clayton, and then the Steelers got back into the ball game, but uh, we kept attacking on offense, and uh, uh, Marino making things happen. We had a running game that helped us today, and defensively in the second half, we shut them out. At the end of the ball game, they got the touchdown to get back on, but it was a kind of win that uh, we played, the kind of ball that we played for the last three weeks. 45-28, the final year of the Super Bowl. That would yeah, be your one yeah, and only appearance. Your thought that hearing that legendary coach. Well, first of all, you know, he's he passed away. You know, we miss him. We all miss him, especially, you know, if you're a Dolphin fan and a Don Shula fan. But uh, for me, that was a big day because my dream was to go to a Super Bowl, you know, and to play in the Super Bowl. And, and also, we did that against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Where I grew up in Pittsburgh, and I loved you know, the Steelers and Jack, Jack Lambert, Donnie Schell, all, they, they actually played in that game. You know, they were t- the Super Bowl teams that Pittsburgh had. Uh, it was just a really good feeling and got very excited uh, about, you know, going to play San Francisco. Unfortunately, we didn't win. Against what was San it, 23? Uh, it was, I was 23. Yeah. No, was it 20 to 3? Oh, I can't was remember it? the score. I think it was, I don't know, like 34. 4-18 or, oh, or, or something like that. All right, so I'm thinking of the wrong Dolphins Super Bowl. I think it was the first time the Dolphins lost to the Cowboys when they got in there. But your thought right. when you walked off that field is, I'll be back, right? Oh, there's no doubt. No doubt. I thought, you know, I was young. I thought I'd be playing in this game again for sure. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say I took it for granted, but we played that game and I lost. And I was like, okay, I'm, you know, that's something I'm going to be able to do again. I want to know what that feels like to win that game, and it never happened. All right, I want to talk about another great moment in your career. Uh, it was the Dolphins were the only team to beat the Bears in that famous defense, yeah, the 1985 yeah. season. Here's how it sounded, cut 39. We are live from the Orange Bowl in Miami, Florida. There's a sellout crowd, of course, a wild air of anticipation. The undefeated Chicago Bears are in town to meet the Miami Dolphins. There have been three undefeated teams in the NFL over the years. The Bears have a pair of them. The last to be undefeated were the 72 Dolphins. 14-0 regular season. They went to 17-0 with the victory over Washington in Super Bowl VII. Final seconds ticking off. Bears will not go undefeated. What a victory for the Dolphins. And Dan Marino reigns supreme once again. 38-24. That defense so fearsome. Not to you. Well, you know what? We had an offense that actually kind of was set up perfect to go against their defense because of 
Duper, Clayton, Nat Moore, Tony Nathan, the receivers we had. And uh, it was one of those nights that the Orange Bowl was just rocking. And we had a 72 team, uh, or the team that went uh, undefeated. It was the 72, 72 team, team, the Dolphins, yeah. And there were a lot of those guys were on the sideline, and it just the place was going crazy. And we came out and was able to hit them for a few quick touchdowns and end up winning that game. It was a great, a great feeling. I remember watching that game. Um, I, I will say this, too. I remember that year. I, I thought they were invincible, and I think they crushed the Giants in the championship game and destroyed New England in the, in the Super Bowl. Yep. Uh, Dan, for you, you believe with the current rules right now, the way you played, the way they protect yeah. quarterbacks, as great as your stats were, they would have been light years better. Well, uh, Ryan, I'll tell you that the, it has changed, and you see how much more they protect they you guys, quarterbacks. Protect, yeah, I mean, you can't, can't hit the quarterback in the head, can't hit him below the knees. And uh, I, I think in a way that's a good thing. I mean, it is a good thing because, you know, you got to keep your star players healthy. Uh, it's it's good for the league. But at the same time, um, yes, I feel like I could have thrown for more yards, more touchdowns in this the, this day and age. Do you understand, Dan, uh, Tom Brady's thirst to play at 45 still? Sure. Do you remember no, sure. you being 38 and wanting to play, but your yeah. body wouldn't let you perhaps? Exactly. That's it. And that's what's amazing about Tom is how he's been able to keep his body in shape and at 45, playing at a high level. Uh, at 38, when I retired, I had an issue with my neck and my arm. And also, well, my knees were, were a problem, my legs a little bit. And felt like I probably could have played a couple more years, but uh, it just health-wise, I didn't feel good about it. But And new, right now, you're able to walk around. You're out of pain. You're a happier guy. Sure. And Nutrisystem, in particular, is something you you like talking about because you're living it. Well, yeah. No, there's no doubt. And the, the one thing uh, I always say is uh, it just makes an impact on your life, and you got to make a decision. And the the best part is, for for men, it's you know, the convenience, the, the fact that it just comes right to your door. You eat the food, lose the weight, and feel good about yourself. Nutrisystemformen.com. Yep. Uh, put in Dan's deal. You get 50% off and $25 off a visit. Dan, thanks for coming Brian, up. I you're appreciate the man, it. man. I appreciate right. it. Thank you so much. We have a rematch of the Super Bowl, I hope. Okay, you got it. All right. I'll be there. In Arizona, we'll be there live I'll with this I'll bring the football. Show. All right, good. And thanks for signing that football, <laughs> too. It. Brian Kilmeade. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from uh, 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson standing by. We have a lot to discuss. Uh, the Queen's health is certainly an issue. They made a, an announcement making it seem as though uh, they're making her comfortable. They're using words and verbiage as if she's not going to recover at the age of 96 years old. Everybody knows she's had her health challenges. Some, some just come with age. Uh, and there might be something else going on. Just judging by the last half hour of Fox and Friends and the reports we were getting, we'll keep you up to date on this. Keep in mind, she's been in power 70 years. I mean, she served with Winston Churchill. Uh, in her 20s, uh, if you call serve, she was queen at the time with prime ministers, 14 prime ministers overall. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. People are struggling to pay their bills, to make ends meet. Food prices in the last year are up 13% across the United States. That's the fastest increase in food prices since 1979. Uh, Yeah. 
that is Senator John Barrasso. How is the economy treating you? The stat show polls confirm Americans are feeling the squeeze everywhere, holding off on vacations, gas, and groceries. As your top concerns are the economy and inflation, one-third of Americans don't have enough money to meet their family needs. What is your reality? Number two. At what point do we hold people accountable? At what point do we hold people behind bars and understand that locking them up and depriving them from being in the public is the best solution to the problem? There you go, Brandon Tatum. Crime killing America with fewer cops, zero cash bail, and an unwillingness to lock up career criminals. Our streets are overrun with thugs. When will safety and security be a priority again? Number one. The radical congresswoman opening up on her own shot at the presidency, but she says the country is too sexist for it to happen. My experience here has given me a front row seat to how deeply and unconsciously, as well as consciously, so many people in this country hate women. Uh. That is Jesse Waters reading the words of AOC in GQ. 2022, polls, debates, and themes queued up and launched as we start our 60-day sprint to the midterms. Leader McCarthy lays out his version of Contract with America. We'll give you it, a preview of it, the best we can. And that's where we'll begin. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson joins us now. Hey, Senator, uh, welcome. I know you're in a tough fight. Latest poll has you within two, but you always seem to trail and pull this thing out uh, in the end. First off, we know when Rick Scott put out his plan, his vision for if the Senate was taken by Republicans, it caused some controversy as he moved some of the uh, some of the social programs over to the non-discretionary spending. And Mitch McConnell thought it was a big mistake. Is Kevin McCarthy making a mistake laying out his plan? Should he become speaker? Oh, I think you really ought to be telling voters what you're for. And hello, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I think the agenda ought to be pretty basic. Uh, we ought to be energy independent. Uh, we had that under the previous administration. The, the war on fossil fuel has purposely driven up the price of gas and energy. Uh, we need to get deficit spending under control. That is the greatest threat to Social Security, Medicare, you know, any government benefit program you want. We need to recognize that fact. We need a competitive, but hopefully a simpler and more rational tax system, reasonable regulatory environment. So to me, those are the big things. That's what Republicans ought to run on, because that works. Uh, The number one component of the solution for all the problems facing this nation is economic growth. We've just experienced two quarters where our economy shrunk because of Democrat governance, because of Democrat policies. So, listen, I, I think we should be telling people what we're for, but there's no doubt about it. We also have to be ta- you know, running on the record, the disastrous record of Biden. You know, the open borders, the 40-year high inflation, record gas prices, rising crime. Uh, we don't have enough baby formula. Uh, the indoctrination of our children. These are legitimate issues. These are concerning Americans, certainly uh, concerning Wisconsinites. My problem, Brian, is I'm running against a radical leftist who's hiding in sheep's clothing. Wants to make sure everybody thinks he's a moderate, doesn't answer questions from the press, doesn't expose himself to the public. Um, and he's taking a page out of Biden's playbook there, you know, he's not hiding in the basement, but he's in hiding. Uh, here is uh, the president yesterday saying, well, I don't say all Republicans are bad. Cut one. The Republican Party today is dominated, driven and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. Anyone on to say, well, not all of them. Where do you stand? Where do you think? Are you in the MAGA Republican uh, uh, bracket? I stand with people who love this country, who realize in the span of human history, this is something rare and precious, and we're losing it. Uh, that, that's the feeling I get as I travel around Wisconsin. They hate, I mean, they hate the divisiveness, the anger, 
Uh, I've done platform and President Biden, you know, the divider in chief now, said eight times in his inaugural address, his number one goal is to unify and heal this nation. He has done the exact opposite. Uh, this nation needs healing. It needs to be unified. Lincoln said, uh, House divided cannot stand. It emboldens our enemies. So we got to heal this nation, but we got to fix these problems caused by Democrat governance. But no, Biden is the most divisive president in my lifetime. That was the most divisive speech. Um, but the problem, Brian, is the mainstream media to back them up. You know, they are advocates for the radical left themselves, and they're a powerful force. Uh, and and do you find in Wisconsin you're getting a fair shake locally? Not even close. No, the, the, the state media has been trying to take me out for two years. They've been lying about me. They've been distorting everything I say. I say I, I can't even, you know, breathe without my exhalation being taken and twisted and distorted and end up being a two or three day uh, bad news cycle. So, no, uh, you know, the, the left, the dark money that they hate until they use it against me, over $50 million lying about me, distorting me, assassinating my character. And the mainstream media is on their side. So that's priceless what's been happening. So I'm, I'm up against significant challenges here. Um Money-wise, I know they're pouring money against you. How close are you to matching it? Well, we've got outside groups coming in and and helping out. But, again, you can't even begin to calculate how much the uh, impact is of the news media being against you. So Ron Johnson for Senate.com, if you want to help me counter all the lies and distortions and help save this U.S. Senate seat so we can hold people accountable. My mission is to tell the truth to find and expose the truth of all the corruption in these agencies and hold people accountable. How much is it hurting your party that Rick Scott and Mitch McConnell seem to be uh, at a a mini war? Well, it's not helpful, but uh, listen, you know, the, the, the NRSC that Rick is, uh, uh, is running has done a great job in Wisconsin. I mean, we've done some innovative things. They came in early, which is where it was when you want them to come in. Now, there'll be so much money spent in the last couple months, it ends up being noise. So I'm highly appreciative sure of the fact that uh, Rick came in with the NRSC and uh, we, we did a high, what we call hybrid ads. Um, but he came in early to you know try and counter the lies and distortions early on while people still might be paying attention. So I'm highly appreciative of the hard work that Rick has put in, and he, he's working his tail off to help us gain the majority. Uh, a couple of things that are, that are going on right now. Uh, one is... This is uh, the plan that McCarthy's laid out. He said the economy. He's going to talk about the lack of regula- the, the regulation decrease. He also wants to talk about moving the supply chains out of China uh, and into Asia and maybe Central America, a nation that's safe, focused on uh, the DA's crime and punishment, highlighting what's happening at the U.S.-Mexican border, which is cr- basically criminal. It's unsustainable. And a future that is free, outlining policies concerning public schools and a government uh, that is accountable but you're in a purple state. What elements, I know what Ron Johnson might think, but you represent Wisconsin, which is 50-50 red and blue. How does that affect what policies you're going to get behind? Listen, I think what Kevin McCarthy, what you read to me right there, makes an awful lot of sense. You know, I laid out what I said. You know, we have to grow our economy, so we have to focus on the elements that help us grow our economy, that, you know, that where government doesn't get in the way. 
you know, you've got to have a tax system, but it should be simple. It should be rational. It should be competitive. You know, you have to have some regulations, but they ought to be fair. They shouldn't be overburdensome. You know, we obviously need to be energy independent. You know, there is certainly products we have to manufacture here in the U.S., semiconductors, pharmaceuticals. There are a lot of things that we allowed to get manufactured overseas. We have to bring back not everything, not high labor content products. But right now we have a labor shortage. So we need to be smart about this. Um, but we have to get deficit spending under control because that's what's crushing seniors on a fixed income. It's crushing everybody. Now, Brian, a dollar you held at the start of the Biden administration is only worth 88.3 cents. That is crushing seniors. It's crushing everybody. Uh, that's the, again, deficit spending. Inflation is the greatest threat to you know, whatever government program you, you rely on. So we've got to get deficit spending under control. The president says, uh, I cut, uh, I took on Big Pharma and won. Now I'm going to let Medicare d- deal directly to buy drugs, neg- let the government negotiate the price of drugs and pharmaceuticals. Is there a downside to that? Yeah, uh, lack of drug development. You know, Medicare through Part D was already negotiating drug prices. Uh, so as is so often the case with Democrat solutions, they sound good. They have a pretty name like the Inflation Reduction Act, which will do nothing of the sort, or the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, didn't protect patients. They lost their, they lost their doctors. They lost their health care plans. And it increased dramatically the cost of uh, insurance on the individual uh, market. So this be the same thing with uh, the drugs. You will have less investment in new life-saving drugs. I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, they say right now, they, they call it the Great American Squeeze, uh, in today's Daily Mail, 69 million households are now canceling vacations, driving less, and cutting grocery bills uh, due to inflation. 12% say they were experiencing severe hardship on a regular basis. And they say even the wealthy and middle class have talked about sacrificing gas, travel, and vacations. You will go inside those numbers. You start a working class. You end up being a self-made uh, success story, very successful business person. You've hit cycles like this. You you came up in the 70s. Does this remind you of that? Yeah, that's why I've been predicting stagflation for well over a year. Uh, you know, when I started my business, price increases were just expected and accepted readily. And then for 30 years, it was like pulling teeth getting a price increase. After the COVID recession, as we were coming out of that, we were in that same situation where price increases were expected and accepted. And that's a very dangerous place for us to be. Now we're in this uh, wage price spiral very difficult to break. But again, inflation crushes people. People don't realize, and as Milton Friedman said, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. We're printing way too many dollars. This deficit spending is killing us. The benefits may sound good uh, or may feel good, but what it is doing in terms of mortgaging our kids' future, harming our economy, harming economic growth, harming seniors on a fixed income, people at the lower end of the, the income spectrum. But as you just said, it crushes everybody. It is it, the inflation is the Democrat tax on all of us. Uh, talking to Senator Ron Johnson, Senator, uh, the word is, I guess, going to you at Grassley, about 12 FBI agents have been whistleblowers to talk about the bias in the media. What happened with the Hunter Biden story and what might be happening today? What could you tell our audience? Well, there is corruption at the highest levels of federal law enforcement, the FBI, and I, and I find that regrettable. But good news is. Uh, I think most people in these agencies are people of integrity, and they're starting to come forward to tell us the truth, because that's the only way we're going to restore credibility and integrity of these agencies if we expose the truth and hold people accountable. But, uh, you know, whistleblowers Chuck Grassley's office uh, told him that 
The FBI had a scheme in August of 2020 to downplay the derogatory information of Hunter Biden to basically deep six the investigation. That's the same month when, for example, we were given that briefing that was unsolicited that I knew was a setup, which was leaked later on to smear me. So not only did the FBI, by downplaying the Hunter Biden uh, computer, the laptop, and labeling that as misinformation, impact the 2020 election, they're impacting the Wisconsin U.S. Senate election in 2022 because, you know, some people are buying the fact that when I'm a tool of Russia. So, no, there's corruption in the FBI. It has to be rooted out. Uh, You know, we found out whistleblowers at our office that, uh, you know, once they gained possession of the Hunter Biden laptop in December 2019, uh, they were told, you will not look at that computer and the FBI is not going to change the outcome of this election again. Uh, So they're partisan actors in the FBI. There shouldn't be. They need to be uh, exposed and uh, held accountable. Tim Tebow left just because 25 years are up, in your view? No. I think uh, the whistleblowers to Senator Grassley's office, and he, then he exposed that in the letter, I think that probably prompted either his retirement or you know, mutual termination. It's hard to say. We need to talk to uh, Mr. Tebow. Uh, on the record, transcribed interview, he should make himself available. Tony Bobulinski spoke, gave, spent some quality time with you, didn't he? Yes, you know, you know, unfortunately, from my standpoint, uh, and I advised him against this, quite honestly, he went to the FBI. And I, I told him at the time, you, you go to the FBI, from what I know of them, this was back in, you know, uh, October, you know, October 2020. So that's just going to be going to go into the black hole and we'll never hear about it. And that's exactly what happened. You know, they haven't called him for the grand jury. They haven't talked to him. They haven't, you know, it, you know, utilized the information he gave. They deep sixed it. I mean, that was that was what their goal was. And so I, I hope Tony Bobulinski will come in for a transcribed interview to my office, uh, and we need to expose what truths he's willing to reveal. Uh, he spoke for five hours to them, but one thing he did say is the cell phone number he was given as appointment for the investigation is uh, Tim Tebolt's. Does that surprise yeah, I mean, you? He knows he, he knows who he talked to. You know, Brian, you know that, that secure briefing, the unsolicited one, I knew it was a setup. We asked who directed this briefing. More than two years later, we've written three public letters in there demanding to know who directed that briefing that was a setup that was used to smear me. We still don't know. So the deep state does not give its secrets up very easily. That's one one of the reasons I I decided to run again is I want to expose the corruption. I want to expose the truth. I want to hold people accountable. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson, uh, you know, in a fight to keep that Senate seat. And if uh, if that seat goes down or the one in Pennsylvania it looks kind of grim that Republicans would have to take, would be able to take the majority. He's going up against uh, Mandela Barnes. And lastly, I saw 538 says 70% chance that Democrats hold on to their advantage in the Senate. Your thoughts real quick? Does, does that sound right well, to you? If they, gain a, if, if they gain a real majority, say goodbye to the filibuster, say hello to nationalization, nationalizing our elections, mail-in balloting, uh, wow. opening us up to fraud and one-party control. Senator, it's, it's, we're at a hinge point in history. Senator Ron Johnson, thank you. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, in a matter of moments, uh, a little bit later, we'll be able to take your calls. Just not enough time right here. I went a little bit long with Senator Johnson. We have a lot to discuss. This Hunter Biden story is so much bigger 
than even the Russia investigation because there's so much tangible there. Remember the Russia investigation? You go, why was this meeting happening? Why did that meeting happen? Why did this person meet this person? Why did he say this? This is emails. This is correspondence. This is sworn testimony of credible people who keep saying that the president's directly involved and they just won't look. It's like saying the answer to a test that you are going to be graded on is in that notebook and open it up. You can use it and then refusing to use it. And that's what's so maddening, admitting that the information will help like they did a year and a half ago, that it was authentic. And then knowing that this testimony will move everything forward. They just don't know one of the answers. What does what does the Democratic Party and Joe Biden in particular, how did he get the loyalty of these law enforcement areas? Not all of them, uh, but the FBI and the higher ups. I'm not sure because he's never been pro-military. I don't remember him ever being pro-law enforcement in the 80s. 70s, he, uh, in the 90s, he came out and did something on uh, with criminals, but he since walked it back and said it was a big mistake. Since that time, he's done nothing but vilify law enforcement every chance he got until he saw his poll numbers. When we come back, I'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. radio show like no other it's brian kilmeade you said you believe that russia's interference altered the outcome of the election i do we have a president who if in fact it is proven uh has been assisted by the russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president the one thing that trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Do you believe Trump is a legitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference. And that is just a little of the montage of people who said... The last election was corrupt. 26, not the last, the second to last, less corrupt. And for President, and actually the former First Lady, Michelle Obama, yesterday come out and say it's important for a transfer of power, peaceful transfer of power, and not question the results of the election. Uh, I thought it was, oh, that's interesting. Well, Donald Trump absolutely did that. But you can't pretend those are just five or six lawmakers who've come out and questioned the results of 2016. I think it's totally unhealthy for the country. That's why if President Biden was a true leader, if there are true leaders out there leading companies, leading teams, uh, leading families, le- uh, leading schools, you don't see Democratic Republicans you say, what's better for this entity? What's better for the entity in this country would be to say, listen, my speech would have been like this if Independence Hall. Over the last 20 years, we've constantly had a problem, almost consistently had a problem with more elections than not with the outcomes of the election. And it's those people that lose have a hard time understanding why they're so close. That's number one. Number two. Uh, There's so much scrutiny and people just have to learn to lose. I'll give you an example. And you roll through some of the people and what they said. For example, after the John Kerry lost to George W. Bush, uh, it was brought up and it was written up in today's Wall Street Journal column with Karl Rove. It said James Clyburn came out and questioned the tallies in Ohio and believed the electoral colleges should encourage electoral college delegates to switch and go for John Kerry. It would have delivered him the election unjustly because Ohio was clearly won by George W. Bush. It was questioned by John Conyers, too, as well as Clyburn. Nancy Pelosi said, 
um, in, in that same election, that those people who uh, uh, are questioning the election devices, the election systems, uh, they, don't, they don't call it a conspiracy theory. That's part of democracy. It's, it's, uh, it's fundamental to democracy to question and secure these things. Well, in 2016, you just heard some of it. So here's more Democrats questioning elections. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's what real I'm thing. scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you, you know, fight against that in 2020? You are absolutely right. He is an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election. And he was put into office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president-elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. What do you say to that? That last guy was John Lewis, the icon, uh, civil rights figure. Didn't really do much as a congressman, I could tell. Hillary Clinton, Charlemagne, the God, talking to the future vice president. I mean, come on. If you're truly the president of the United States, you say, I have a problem with some of the most higher up, higher, uh, higher profile Democrats who question 2016. Uh, some that uh, went out of their way to question George W. Bush beating John Kerry in Ohio. Uh, others that never accepted George W. Bush the first time because of the 500 votes of Florida and governor of Florida was Jeb Bush. Went out of their way to say President George W. Bush was illegitimate, which meant the, the reelection was so concerning for him. And so crucial for him to prove that there was first time around was no fluke. And if you're president, then you say, I'm very upset at Donald Trump for doing it last time. And then people got so incensed, they stormed the Capitol. And you might even would say, I don't think Donald Trump wanted the Capitol storm. No. Uh, but but he got people so incensed about the election and did the way he acted over the last three weeks that that's what it's come to. And hopefully we are at the ledge edge now. Right now we all back off from here on in. We do the best we can to get the best almost uh, – most uh, fair elections done in your state, your city, your county. From here on in, um, we make it far and few times in which we challenge the results of an election. You go challenge legally, you go through the right passages, and let the chips fall where they may. But the speeches in which you say our electoral systems failed, it makes feel, people feel the country's failing. Now, that is different. And saying George W. Bush would have won by a wide margin had this DWI thing not come out of the last minute. And who put that out? Who put out the Donald Trump uh, tape with, uh, with, uh, with Billy Bush? That was devastating. It almost destroyed Donald Trump. Who put that out? You could question that. Who's behind that? I don't think there's anything wrong with saying did Pfizer hold back the vaccine because they didn't want to make sure that Trump didn't win. Because the vaccine would have given people the ability to think that maybe the pandemic wasn't done so poorly for uh, by Donald Trump. And obviously the Hunter Biden story being buried. That's legitimate. Saying these stories weren't buried by legal authorities or by others or leaked out there at that time. That's called a debate. But to the actual system saying things are fixed is terrible. And a real leader sees it. Says, okay, what's better for my party is to vilify Donald Trump. What's better for the country is that Donald Trump took it too far, but my party laid the groundwork for it in 2004, and they went way over the top in 2016. And it hurt the country, let alone Russian-U.S. relations. Listen, I despise Russia. cannot stand Vladimir Putin. 
but you actually said that he manipulated an election for Donald Trump, and that never happened. So you poisoned the well on relations worse than Vladimir Putin could do for no reason. Not for stuff that he did, like take Crimea under Obama, like take portions of Georgia, which he still occupies, under 40 Bush 43, but for something he actually didn't do. And when Donald Trump walked out and said, listen, I talked to him, I don't, you know, I don't think he was really behind any substantial hit on our election, that's different. Here's Katie Pavlich, cut nine. Well, we're on day six of the White House being asked about this. So it's been a bit of a distraction from maybe some successes they would like to talk about. And they're trying to do two things. They're trying, on one hand, to say that the president did a good job, that his speech was not divisive, uh, while at the same time kind of trying to walk back the tone of the speech, because he was very clear when he said that he believes MAGA Republicans, while they can't define what that actually means, are a threat to the republic, uh, while he had two Marines standing behind him and and the red imagery there. Uh, But the truth is that Joe Biden would rather be talking about Donald Trump, what he sees as MAGA Republicans, instead of the issues like inflation, and especially when it comes to things that Democrats are running away from him on, like the student debt bailout that we saw uh, as candidates are trying to push back on the White House. So that's uh, very true. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm of two minds. When we're talking about uh, Joe Biden and MAGA and how ridiculous the comments were, inflammatory and irresponsible, We're not talking about inflation. We're not talking about his ridiculous spending packages. We're not talking about his switch to climate agenda, the tune of $350 billion, that technology is not there or infrastructure doesn't exist, and it might not exist on the planet or be capable of. We're not talking about anything else that he thinks are a success. But the breakdown of the border, we're certainly not talking about that. We're not talking about a year and a a few weeks past Afghanistan. We're not talking about that devastating report that showed that the refugees that came into our country were not properly screened at all in these third-party countries, whether it was Qatar, Oman, or anywhere else. When we brought them out, we didn't know who was on the plane. And when we dropped them off, many times we still didn't know who was on the plane. That's a 36-page report. Makes the Biden administration, the State Department look absolutely awful. We're not talking about that. So in a way, they won. But the other way is he looks unhinged. He looks distracted. The fact that he says he had all these great things that he accomplished but wants to make MAGA the big story shows how desperate he is. And the fact is that these candidates in hard-to-win states like Ohio, like Pennsylvania, want no part of them. You think Governor Chris wants to see Joe Biden in Florida? Former Governor Chris. James, uh, you're in Florida. Welcome. Yes. How's it going, Brian? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, as a Democrat, I'm curious about something. When Trump returns to his rightful place as president, will we see heads roll or people going to jail? Or are we going to hear more talking points where people should go to jail? Well, number one, you're a Democrat for Trump? I'll let you know right now. Why, sh- why should my party affiliation change because of what I just said? It shouldn't. No, I don't know what you mean. I'm just saying, are you a Democrat? I am a Democrat, but you're a Democrat. Because I I believe the thing that's going to turn an election, the reason why Reagan romped was because there were were Democrats for Reagan, so-called Reagan Democrats. I have not heard too many Democrats for Donald Trump. Uh, The thing that would change the calculus and get him over 42%, which he means to win, was guys like you. He would need Democrats to say, listen, I just can't take this anymore. Even with the crazy tweets and the inopportune statements, 
I much rather have lower regulations. I much rather have border security. I much rather have a strong defense that I don't uh, uh, use. I love to continue with these uh, trade deals. I like to continue with the Abraham Accords. I want to continue to isolate Iran. I want to be the answer to the problems that Europe's having with natural gas and fracking my country in order to help out our allies because Russia is trying to starve them. That's what I hope other people will do because the policies, the country was much better off. The question is, Reagan had this great personality, wonderful speaker, a totally traditional politician that actually said things were considered much more radical than anything Donald Trump ever said at the time and effective now. But then they thought, oh, my goodness, this guy's crazy. He could never get the nomination. He'll never win the presidency. But what I, what I would love to see is a candidate run for office who legitimately wants the other party to vote for him. I saw two things happen over the last week that stunned me. Governor Chris saying, if you're a Ron DeSantis supporter, you're a hater. I don't want you to vote for me. And Governor Hochul of New York say virtually the same thing. If you're a Republican, a conservative, go to Florida. I've never heard a politician say, don't vote for me. But that's what I heard those two times. I know people that said, if you're a Democrat or Republican, I don't want to hang out with you. If you're not with my party, I don't want to take your phone calls. But a politician, I never thought I thought would have to be more discriminate than that. But not so fast. When we come back, I'll take more of your calls. But more importantly, I'll find out if there's a need. There is a need to know more. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Those of us lucky enough to serve work, as Barack said, as hard as we can for as long as we can, as long as the people choose to keep us here. And once our time is up, we move on. And all that remains in this hallowed place are our good efforts and these portraits. All right, uh, time to move on. But why do you stay in Washington and be such a player? Most people think they're still playing a huge role in the party, in the presidency, that was Michelle Obama getting her portrait, elected not to get it from Donald Trump. I'm sure it would have been eight more years before she came back again, because I'm sure the Trumps would never be acceptable to the Obamas. And she got it yesterday, gave a great speech. But once she shows it, once the Obamas show up, uh, the Bidens go invisible. I'm just wondering if there's even more to know. More to know. I cannot wait for tonight. Not only will I be in, well, I'm going to be busy. Uh, at 8 o'clock, I'm going to be at the Egg in Albany. There are a couple of tickets left. There are a few tickets left, so come out and join me, BrianKillMe.com. Meantime, there's a game tonight. NFL football, Rams, the world champions, host the Buffalo Bills, a team that many people think will be a, a, a world champion this year. It'll be at SoFi Stadium. Uh, this will be the 2022 kickoff game. Uh, this is considered the best stadium. The Rams were the best team. I really believe this is going to be special. The Cowboys will open up on Sunday night football. Uh, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks has only been playing for two weeks. My goodness. wonder if that's enough time. And Monday night football game of the week uh, will be a homecoming of the ages. Russell Wilson uh, and the Broncos head to Pacific Northwest to play Wilson's old team, the Seattle Seahawks. We'll see how that goes. Next, the Washington Nationals apologize to a young girl. This is more of a visual uh, because this guy walked up, this grown man stole a baseball that was going right into our hands. It happened in the outfield. A clip circulated on Twitter, finding a fan throw a warm-up ball before the inning began. 
He picked it out. A young girl with her glove already, already made to, to make the catch. It was perfectly thrown. The only problem is this man just walked up with a Juan Soto jersey and scooped it up and took it and walked away. The girl's mother tagged the Nationals on Twitter and asked if her daughter could have a signed uh, Joey Manessis ball. After what happened, the team responded, and they gave him that. So we'll see what happens. I saw the video. I mean, look, I don't think the guy saw her, but we'll see. He can't really see the guy's face or else he'd be vilified around the world. Next, Elon Musk could use Twitter's whistleblower in his trial to get out of his $44 billion deal to buy the Twitter platform. The judge rules the case won't be delayed to avoid stock price sliding further. So here it is. The judge, however, rejected Musk's bid to delay the case by four weeks, saying it would risk further harm to Twitter. The high-stakes trial is set to begin on October 17th. Uh, in Delaware, uh, Musk included evidence in his uh, in his trial uh, from a whistleblower in the trial to get his $44 billion deal done, taken back. Uh, the security chief, Peter Zatko, will appear for a deposition to discuss the allegations that Twitter misled uh, Musk about the spam accounts on the site. Next, Disney did not purchase Twitter because a substantial portion of its users were not real, the entertainment giant's former chief executive said. The anecdote comes as Elon Musk is attempting to buy uh, Twitter. You just heard why. Twitter would have been a global distribution platform for Disney if the company could have purchased it in 2016 when it planned to. But the world has changed fast. In the same time, we heard that Twitter was contemplating a sale. That, according to Bob Iger, that's not going to help Elon Musk. Next, men more likely to have a financial risk and gamble after getting good news from a fortune teller. I've been saying this for the longest time. Yes, three experiments show the impacts of superstition, even among men who claim to be non-believers, revealing that these superstitions believers affect males far more than females. Men have received a positive fortune telling. I don't know what a positive telling is. It's just supposed to tell your future. Rather than a neutral or a negative one, we're more inclined to take risks with their money. Have you guys ever taken on to a soothsayer? I have not, but now I have to, I guess. Right. Would you be more reckless if someone said, things are going to be going your way, money is going to fall into your lap? More mediums, more gambling. That's all you need? You would do that as a man? Uh, Maybe. It would depend on the medium, I guess. Next. And no signal, no problem. Apple debuts inflation-busting $799 iPhone 14 that sends emergency SOS via satellite and calls 911 if you are in a crash. The tech giant unveils a slew of new products, including Apple Watch Ultra for the extreme athletes. Apple's annual product event unveiled several new technologies, including the iPhone 14 6-inch display and improved camera. They keep making this camera better and better. We're just, we're just average people. We don't need the best camera in the world. Uh, it is Apple's first handset capable of connecting to satellite internet, which can be used to remote areas where there is no phone service. Is that enough of a game to go turn in your phone? Uh, if I get in an accident, I want to know people are going to call me. I'm wondering how it's going to know you're actually in an accident. Are you going to move your phone in a weird way? I know. And, and it's going to think you're in an accident? Right. Am I unconscious? Is it going to get hit by the airbag? What's the deal? How serious is it? Former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Wednesday that she hopes to bring her passion for debunking and calling out BS to her upcoming MSNBC show. He says, first of all, my business is not rage. What I call to do is to bring the passion for explaining things, debunking things, calling out BS when you see it as my next. That's what I say as my next shop. By the way, BS is anything that you don't agree with. I think that's a little bit different than calling it out. My hunch. I don't see Jen Psaki going, you know, you guys are being too tough on Donald Trump. Republicans really deserve a second look, not Jen Psaki. I'll have to just circle back with you. From the 
Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Happy to be coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we're going to talk to the former chairman of the Federal Ed- Energy and Regulatory Commission uh, under President Trump, talking about Gavin Newsom's folly of converting his state, California, into a green state, while also telling people, don't use your dryer, don't use your air conditioner, get ready for rolling blackouts, talk about limiting people. What are we, in the 1930s? I mean, we, if we had a fan, would we be able to plug it in? This technology is not ready, and it's emblematic of that. I don't care what your intention is. You need the all-of-the-above strategy. Oil and gas is necessary. Mark Thiessen, in a matter of moments, it's one of the hallmark issues of our future that affects everything we do. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. People are struggling to pay their bills, to make ends meet. Food prices in the last year are up 13% across the United States. That's the fastest increase in food prices since 1979. Uh, Pretty impressive. Senator Barrasso, uh, how is the economy treating you? Stat show, polls confirm. Americans are feeling the squeeze everywhere. Holding off on vacations, gas, and groceries. What is your economic reality? Share it with us. Number two. At what point do we hold people accountable? At what point do we hold people behind bars and understand that locking them up and depriving them from being in the public is the best solution to the problem? Crime killing America with fewer cops, zero cash bail, and an unwillingness to lock up career criminals. Our streets are overrun with thugs. When will safety and security be a priority again? Number one. The radical congresswoman opening up on her own shot at the presidency, but she says the country is too sexist for it to happen. My experience here has given me a front row seat to how deeply and unconsciously, as well as consciously, so many people in this country hate women. Exactly. That isn't Jesse Waters talking about his inner child. That is a child speaking out, AOC to GQ, saying a woman won't get elected because men hate women in this country. What country is she from? What country is she serving? Meanwhile, the midterms where it's a sprint as Leader McCarthy lays out his plan. uh, Should he be speaker? Is this a wise move? Uh, Joining us now, Mark Thiessen knows all about politics, security and everything else. Uh, Washington Post columnist and deep thinker at Fox News. Mark, first off, we saw that Senator Rick Scott put some things in his vision for the Senate, should they get the majority, that ended up being tough politically when he talked about putting some automatic withdrawals like Medicare and uh, uh, Medicare and Social Security and putting them at discretionary spending, and that became a talking point for the president. Could Kevin McCarthy be in danger of doing that too as he outlines his own version of contract with America? Uh, it depends on what's in it. Um, can, can I say one thing, by the way, about Queen Elizabeth, since uh, we're all watching uh, all, what's happening? I remember on September 11, 2001, when the when the towers came down, she ordered the 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 uh, the Buckingham Palace Guard to play the Star Spangled Banner instead of the God Save the Queen for the first time in 600 years. Uh, I'll never forget that moment. So our prayers are with her. Um, on, on your question, would Rick, we should not be modeling anything we're doing on what Rick Scott has done in the Senate. Uh, in the Senate, the, that man has he he pulled in a record haul of over 180 million dollars 
and spent it all promoting himself and his and his plan to the point that they're now pulling ads in key swing states because they don't have cash on hand. They've got like less than twenty million dollars cash on hand in the senatorial committee. So Rick Scott, you know, he needs to he needs there needs to be an investigation into Rick Scott and the senatorial committee after this election. How much did he, how much did you say he spent early promoting his plan? Hundred and hundred and eighty million dollars. Where did he spend it? I don't. We don't know. It's disappeared. They've got no cash. They've got almost no cash on hand. There's a front page story this weekend in the New York Times about it, um, and the Wall Street Journal's reported about it as well. So Rick, I mean, Rick Scott was out there doing ads for himself. He's promoting this plan that no other Republican signed on to. No one uh, and and handed Joe Biden a a, uh, a a lever with which to hammer Republicans when no one is agreeing to his plan, and and they're out of cash. <laughs> It's a senatorial committee. You know, Mitch McConnell is having to come in and, and, and use his leadership pack to support some of these candidates. Um, I hope Donald Trump is doing the same thing since he picked a lot of them. He, be, he better be pouring cash into the into the. But, yeah, Rick Scott, like, wasted a, uh, a, a record haul in the uh, in the senatorial committee. It's an absolute disgrace. So Rick Scott should not be a model for anybody. If anything, you know, we were talk- if, 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 it, if it's true that, they, that he mismanaged business so much, you can't lock him up for it, but he, shouldn't, he certainly should be done his political career as a, in, in Republican leadership in the Senate. Well, well uh, but that's the Right. Um, I, I know Senator Ron Johnson just praised him because he did help Mountain Wisconsin. So he has a, yeah. a different view, as I don't know what the New York Times reporting is. But I'll definitely uh, – I know he was asked that on our channel yesterday. I'm just looking at yeah. uh, what – Ask him where the money went <laughs> next yeah, time he's on your show. <laughs> what, what Kevin McCarthy uh, outlined. Here's roughly what he's going to announce tomorrow. An economy that's strong. He's going to focus on moving the supply chains uh, out of China into Asia and into Central America, a nation that's safe, focused on crime and punishment. I hope it's more than rhetoric. I hope he's got a plan. Highlighting what's going on at the U.S.-Mexico border and a future that is free, outlining the, the concerns of the public schools and a government that's accountable, uh, hence the FBI and some of the chicanery we've been witnessing. Is that plan dangerous? No. All that sounds good. I think it sounds what the Americans need to hear. I mean, look, here, here's the reality is we have Joe Biden is the most unpopular president in the history of presidential polling going back to Harry Truman. He, and he's he, earned he, he crisscrosses with he go, crisscrosses with Trump a little bit, uh, you know, and, and depending on the day, he's a little bit more, a little bit less popular than Trump was in, at the same time. But just can, can we give a caveat to that? Trump yeah. had every even every of press course. member was against him. He's got a of press course. waiting for him to do something right, ignoring when he did things wrong, like Afghanistan. 100%. Hundred percent. I'm not. I'm, I'm not comparing them in any in, in no. any way other than the polling numbers. We have the worst inflation in 40 years, the worst collapse in real wages in four decades, the worst crime wave since the 1990s, the worst border crisis in American history, highest gas prices on record, food prices as you as as you played uh, Senator Barrasso pointed out up 13 percent. People in this country literally being forced to choose between gas and food. If Republicans don't produce a red wave this election. That that sweeps the Democrats out of power in the in the House and Senate. Our party has to take a real hard look in the mirror about what's wrong with us because there's only two. The, the, the polls are closing now. Now look, it's possible that the polls are not are are wrong. They were wrong in 2016. Ron Johnson is supposedly in the RCP average down for four and a half points. He was down going into his election in in 2016 and he won by three and a half points. Yep. So. These polls could be wrong. Susan Collins, but too, is a perfect example of what happened Susan last Collins time. Susan Collins as well. Joni Ernst. But, you know, I don't, 
you know, I don't know, you know, now there was a, there was a Trump factor in that in 2016 where people didn't want to say they were voting for Trump when they really did. So that doesn't exist on the ballot today. But I'll tell you something. Uh, if, if, if Republicans don't win, don't win decisively, we need to take a really hard look at the Republican Party and why it is, because there's only two possibilities of why the, why the, why the polls are tightening. Either people are warming up to Joe Biden which I think you and I would agree is not true, or they're looking at the alternative the Republican Party is presenting and saying they no thanks. And I don't think that, that the whole Mar-a-Lago story has helped the Republican Party in any way because it's distracted from all these, from all these issues uh, that we should be talking about. Um, and they, the Democrats want to make Donald Trump the center of attention. They're, 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 that's all, if, you go, if you go to any Democratic campaign in this country, what are they talking about? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump's going to come back. Donald Trump, the Republican Party is MAGA and all the rest of it. We, gotta, we, get, we, we need to focus on them, <laughs> and we need to focus on the serial disasters that Joe Biden has, ha, has inflicted on this country. And Kevin McCarthy is right. He's got the right idea, which is we need, to, we need to present an alternative to the American people that is serious and credible and attractive uh, to them so that they don't look and say, I don't like Biden. But I really don't like the Republicans because <laughs> that's that's what some voters are just swing in, in these swing states are doing right now. Uh, just about on the poll question, I saw this poll in the ARP poll. I'm not sure uh, how valid it is, but it only has DeSantis with a three point lead over Governor Christ, Rubio with a two point lead over Val Demings. Does that mesh with what you're seeing? It's hard to say. I mean, it, it looks like all the polls everywhere are tightening. Uh, as we get closer to election, and some of that's inevitable. I don't think we, you know, that as you get closer to voting, then people the, the polls tighten. Um, but you know, I, 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 you know, again, the polls could be wrong. Um, but uh, but I, uh, I, I think we need, we need. I'm worried that we've uh, that in some of these races we've picked candidates that are not as strong as they could have been, um, and that uh, the former president was more focused on avenging. Uh, his personal vendettas from 2020 than he was on making sure the Republicans p- pick the most, the best candidate in the most, win- and, the, and the most winnable, in the most winnable races in the in those particular states. Um, and we'll see if it works out or not. Part of it will be the Roe v. Wade Dobbs decision, and you know that you can't blame anyone on that. It's maybe Trump for putting conservative judges on, but politically it's challenging. Uh, fundamentally, it's what Republicans ran on for 50 years. Yeah, but, you know, I'll tell you that's an excuse because, you know, yes, in it, it, it probably marginally helps Democrats because Democrats are Democrats lost and they're mad and so they're energized. But, again, if that's the tipping point with all the things it, 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 in a, in, with the worst inflation in 40, 40 years, collapse in wages, crime, in, in the border crisis, Afghanistan, all the rest of that, if, if that Afghanistan, all that if we can't win in that environment and. The, the, the abortion decision, which is even even though it's surged, is a top priority for a small number of very motivated left wing voters. Uh, then then uh, we're in big trouble <laughs> because the, the, there is no way. And in fact, it, the Dobbs decision probably couldn't have come at a better time because in a if things were going well in the country, then it could be the tipping point. But with all the bad things that are happening, I don't want I don't want to hear anybody turn around and say, yeah, we would have won if it wasn't for Dobbs because that's BS. Yeah, that we should. We, there is no excuse for us not winning and not winning decisively, despite Dobbs. Dobbs might have made it a little bit of a, of a steeper climb than it would have been otherwise, but it should have been. It should. This should not be a decisive issue in, the, in these elections. And if it is, it's because we picked the wrong candidates, 
and we didn't call, and we and we presented the wrong image to the to the American people all across the board. Uh, some of the key races before we move on, uh, uh, Fetterman. I think people can, quite, all you have to do is define him, and I think the polls are going to tighten. Uh, Doctor Oz is trying to is probably going to get uh, his debate. It looks like yep. one debate, but he has basically lowered the bar to such a level, made himself a sympathetic figure. There's a you got to be very subtle and have some finesse in taking yep. this on. Don't you agree? You have to. So this this is the thing, right? So you know, Fetterman clearly, if you watch him, is is compromised. He can't, he can't put it. There's one there was one event where I mean, he literally could. It was painful to watch. He couldn't put a sentence together, and. You know, most people look at that and they think, wow, I feel really badly for that guy, but I probably don't want him to be my senator, right? And then Oz's campaign comes in and says, well, if he had, if he had eaten a vegetable, he probably wouldn't have had a stroke. And people look and say, you know, the, the one thing I hate more than a, than a, the, I, I'm, I hate more than a mentally compromised senatorial candidate is a jerk, right? Who, who, a doctor who makes fun of a guy who had a stroke. So he's got to be really careful, especially in the debate. Because if Fetterman starts stuttering or stumbling or like that, if he just attacks him, it's going to backfire. Because people people don't like that. They want you have that. He's got to be very careful. Got to be gracious, uh, and let Fetterman hang himself by his inability to, to to function, not by attacking him. It's very hard when you got somebody who's you know this this happened with you know Mark Kirk. Uh, who is a senator uh, from Illinois? He he had a stroke in 2012 and ran in 2016. He had debates. He didn't do very well, um, and people felt sorry for him. But they ended up voting for somebody else because they didn't think he was ready to serve. He, he was re- uh, capable of serving in the Senate anymore. Let Fetterman debate. He's going to have to debate, and uh, and let him show that to the people without without just being mean about it. But if you saw how snarky the tweets were, and you'd read them uh, about Oz, they were personally demeaning. And defaming, yeah. so they were going at uh, Oz personally too, um, and and you can go back at him, but not about a stroke. Understood. Um, a couple of things, you know, when he goes, "I had a stroke, I can't debate." I've never heard that answer before. Uh, you think you probably can't run, but we we move on. He wouldn't be if he if he won, he would not be the most me- uh, mentally compromised, uh, intellectually compromised person ever to serve in the United States Senate. I can promise you that. That's sad, but true. So, <laughs> Strom Thurmond ran for re-election at 93. Uh, <laughs> I was there. I worked in the Senate. <laughs> well, congratulations. Uh, Mark, you might want to take that off your resume. Uh, so, quick thing. Did you read Karl Rove's column today in the Wall Street Journal? Did not. So, he talked about but election sure denying. Brilliant. Right. But he talked about election <laughs> denying, putting in perspective. And yeah. he said, listen, I did not remember this, and which is a shame because I was probably covering it. Um, John, Ke- I, and I hadn't had a stroke, so I don't have an excuse, but, so you don't have to be nice to me. So, and, so John, so uh, George W. Bush wins uh, re-election because he won Ohio. So James yeah. Clyburn was one of 31 Democrats who wanted to deny Ohio delegates the right to vote for George W. Bush. He wanted, they wanted to deny it. They started protesting it. Conyers was also presented the case uh, on, on behalf of Kerry that the election machines were manipulated, backed up by Nancy Pelosi and says, don't call it a conspiracy theory, call it democracy, let alone yep. this from 2016. Cut for. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's a real what thing. I'm scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you 
you know, fight against that in 2020. You are absolutely right. He is an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election and he was put into office because the Russians interfered. So, I mean, this is out there. And a real statesman yeah. brings that up and says, we're going to a bad place in this country. It happened a lot in 08. It happened even more, 04. Happened uh, way too much in 2016 and went over the top in 2020. We have to stop it. That's what a leader does. Final thought? Yeah, Joe Biden isn't a leader. That's <laughs> <It's> that simple. <laughs> that is exactly what a leader would do. But we don't have one, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, they, they all they all went after Trump. They all tried to deny the legitimacy of his presidency. They all said that he colluded with, with uh, Vladimir Putin and stole the election. And it turned out to be nothing more than a conspiracy theory. Keep it all um, in perspective, you know, like Mark Thiessen does. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone joins me in Albany tonight. Uh, I'll be at the Egg, famous Egg, capital of New York State. If you're in the area of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, as well as upstate, a few take. On my website, it's sold out. On their website, there are a few seats left. So go to theegg.com if you can't find seats on my site or Ticketmaster. Uh, I'm going to be able to talk 1776 instead of 1619, give you an idea what's happening in the news and through history. You know, I was able to put together George Washington's Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, uh, then President and Freedom Fighter, uh, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and the Battle to Save America's Soul, well as taking your questions. So I want to give everybody a sense of the country they're in with a little bit more depth and texture because people are getting, he's seeing about statues being taken down. Uh, tours of James Madison's house and Thomas Jefferson's estate and hearing nothing but negative things about these founding fathers. And I want to push it back and also make it in a fun stage way. The whole thing is fun. It's interactive. And the VIP opportunities where I can meet you before. I already got some uh, friends in the area that are coming by uh, that have paid the VIP price. And then I'll be able to sign my books at the end, too, uh, and personalize them, whether it's Christmas or a big event you have coming up. So that's BrianKillMe.com, or just go to The Egg in Albany and get tickets there. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, what's going on with the green push in California? Is it coming here? Well, talk to a man for the Trump administration that knows all about it and what to worry about. I'll give you a hint. The technology's not there yet. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We recognize that we need to do more in terms of de-risking our transition to green energy. And don't think for a second, I'll talk more about that in a moment, uh, that we are not doing anything except accelerating. I mentioned what we're doing on permitting and procurement, accelerating that transition to low-carbon, renewable sources of energy. Yeah, accelerating. Uh, and guess what? The, the California, the people that are left there are sweating to death. In one of the most beautiful states uh, with the most potential, most natural resources, people are running for the hills for the first time, uh, maybe ever, certainly in my lifetime. But they are getting out. And it's because of these reti- a lot of it has to do with these ridiculous energy pro- uh, these programs that we are not ready for. Neil Chatterjee joins us now, former chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission under President Trump. Neil, what's your reaction 
to this move by the governor to ban combustion engines, the sale of combustion engine cars and by 2035. Two days later, he's telling everyone, don't plug in your electric car and don't use your air conditioner or your dryer. <laughs> I mean, this is what happens when you have politicians and not engineers making decisions about something as critical as energy policy. You know, when I served at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and for your listeners to to explain why it's important, it's the agency that's responsible for making sure that when Americans hit the switch, the lights come on. Well, Californians are in a situation this week where the lights aren't always coming on, and it's largely because of these policies that the politicians in California have been promoting. But it's got to a point now where 17 states are following in the wake of California considering doing the same program. But, you know, right now, Neil, we're not ready. I mean, we're, we're closer to getting to Mars than we are by running on windmills and solar panels. And battery and battery-operated cars, most of the rare earth is located in China or controlled by China, where we have in the earth oil and gas, gas that burns clean as well, and nuclear technology that is still providing some energy uh, for many states, including California. Yeah, look, there's a lot of exciting possibilities with clean energy technologies. Uh, And we're in the midst of an energy transition, and that's a good thing. But the problem is you've got folks like Governor Newsom and these other states that want to skip the transition part of the energy transition. We need to have an orderly transition, which means we're going to need clean U.S. natural gas, American-produced oil, to get us through this energy transition and this idea that we can just wish that tomorrow we can uh, forswear off all fossil fuels and move to 100% clean energy is just not realistic. It's not smart. It's not affordable. But most importantly, it threatens reliability. And, you know, something that we take for granted, that the lights come on when we hit the switch, we may lose that if we're not smart. You know what's amazing? I love the all the above strategy. I'm all for moving to a cleaner environment. But you have to say to yourself, if I'm looking out for my own country, what would that mean for my security? Until we found a way to make these batteries without using China, find a way to get rid of these batteries without using China, or find a way we have no way of getting rid of solar panels, even windmill blades. There's You can't just pretend, well, I'm going to go do this and get some votes and win over the green community when the technology is not there. Don't you believe that this is against our national interest? Look what's happening across the Atlantic right now to our European allies. They put themselves in a situation. Look at Germany. Germany made a decision uh, after the Fukushima nuclear disaster in Japan that they were going to move away from nuclear power. To meet their carbon goals, they said they were no longer going to burn coal. They put themselves in a position where they became totally dependent on Russia for their natural gas while they moved to accelerate the deployment of renewables. They find themselves in a situation now, no nuclear power, no coal. Renewables aren't in a position yet to completely fulfill their energy needs, so they're totally dependent on Russia. We do not, as Americans, where we have such a robust all-of-the-above energy availability energy dominance really here in the U.S., we should never find ourselves in the situation that our European allies currently are in. 
Yeah, you know what's interesting is I spoke to a gas, a family-owned gas company the other day with all their vendors there, and I got such an education on the intricacies of that business and how they're being vilified unjustly while really driving this country and really more responsible than anybody else for our industrial revolution to be this economic superpower that we are today. And the politicians are trying to make gains by ripping into them. And they said, listen, we're all for renewables. We're putting money into technology. But there's a push to divest from their companies because of this wokeness in these investment corporations. Did you see that happening during the Trump years? I mean, you are so interesting and ironic. And, and ironic's the wrong word. It's 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 maddening. Uh, you hear people use talk the, about uh, use the other Gavin Newsom, okay? About the uh, the energy infrastructure in America today. Uh, you know, I've met with my al- uh, regulatory counterparts around the world. Our energy system is the envy of the world. The rest of the world wants to learn from us how we can provide such affordable, reliable, and clean energy. And yet you hear uh, policymakers, lawmakers, leaders in our country, and they talk about our energy as if we're like a banana republic. The rest of the world envies us. But we're not helping Europe when we need them most. we got to be finding a way to start building LNG terminals to get them natural gas. We could be the number one customer. This is capitalism, and it's called friendship and being allies. Instead, you got Germany begging Canada to pick up the pace, and they said no. What is so bad about natural gas? It's maddening. Uh, So when I was at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission— me, Secretary Rick Perry, who was at the Department of Energy, people made fun of us because we used the term freedom gas because we were trying to make the case that clean U.S. LNG not only is good for the economy here at home, not only is beneficial geopolitically to giving our allies an alternative to Russia, it's also good for the environment. Clean U.S. LNG knocking out dirty Russian gas actually helps lower pollution and climate change. I don't understand why this is such a complex decision for the Biden administration to make. This is a win-win-win, and they're trying to placate their environmentalist base by slowing down the the you know the permitting right. and, and regulations around LNG exports at a time when it would help our economy, it would help our allies, and the environment. Neil Chatterjee, our guest, former chairman of the Federal uh, Energy Regulatory Commission under President Trump. So... I guess it's because fossil fuels, because it's from the ground and it's just symbolism. But unfortunately, I think the average American wants to flip, uh, put their hand on a switch, flip it up and have the lights go on. I think the average American wants to be able to walk into their bedroom and put the air conditioner on. We are used to that. Be able to, you know, we are used to be able to go, okay, pay a little bit too much for gas, being able to gas up our cars. But now it's going to be harder to find a gas station and it's going to be we're going to get used to regulations and warnings like this. Listen to Gavin Newsom earlier this week to Californians. Cut 31. Everyone has to do their part to help step up for just a few more days. Individuals, the state, industries, business, all doing their part to help reduce strain on the grid. Now, here's specifically what you can do in the early morning hours, particularly tomorrow and the next day or so. Pre-cool your home. Run your air conditioning earlier in the day when more power is available. And we encourage you to close your windows and blinds to keep your home cool as well. 
And today and tomorrow afternoon after 4 p.m., in particular 4 p.m., please turn your thermostat up to 78 degrees or higher and avoid to the extent possible using any really large appliances. Is this World War II? You know, uh, uh, what, what is going on here? Is this the Depression? I mean, my goodness, it's hot in California. You th- now you got to make those adjustments and you act like you're showing leadership. You did this. I mean, I, I was only a little kid at the time, but that totally had echoes of Jimmy Carter. If it's cold, put on a sweater. Pre-cool your house to 78 degrees when it's 105 outside. You know, that's untenable. And the reality is he's not admitting to his constituents that it's his policy decisions that put them in this predicament. He and his and, and, and politicians in California decided to retire natural gas plants, which are now saving them while they still needed them. They were trying to retire a nuclear plant, which is critical to keeping the lights on. They're now reversing course on that because they haven't been listening to the engineers. They've been making political decisions to appease a political base, not focusing on what it takes to keep the lights on for California. Uh, Absolutely. It is. And so Mike Schellenberger, I, I think a former Democrat, too, was on with Tucker last night. And he's been all over this. He's also using the term maddening in the past, saying, where's the logic? Aren't you working for the people? Cut 35. People that move away from traditional religion, they basically turn nature into a new god, a new victim god, that that the one hand they want to take orders from, and on the other hand they want to harmonize with through renewables. But the problem is the weather doesn't cooperate, so we haven't had as much water for hydroelectricity we're actually getting 10% less electricity from carbon-free sources today uh, than we were 10 years ago. And now you have people burning wood and using coal. Congratulations. So is this the thing, Neil? Sometimes in life you could tell people things over and over again, but until they do it and fail, uh, that's the only way they'll learn? Do, I mean, since we don't, we don't seem to get a European newspaper, I did not know this. They're paying $11 a gallon for gas. Until until we understand and start experiencing the pain and the folly of the policies, not the circumstances, the policies, then nothing changes. Yeah, that's the problem. Is it's going to take a catastrophe for people to wake up and recognize the uh, the flawed approach, and it shouldn't come to that. Look, the power going out is dangerous. Let's not kid ourselves. We take for granted the reliability that we have in this country, that when it's really, really hot, we can turn on the AC. And when it's really, really cold, we can heat our homes. And, you know, think about where we would be if uh, if we didn't have that reliable delivery of electricity. I don't want to find out uh, about, you know, the, the disaster that will emanate from these bad policies. we got to preemptively just be smart about this. And, again, there's great opportunities in clean energy. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited about the future possibilities of uh, of solar and storage and some of these technologies. But while we build to that, let's not put ourselves in a dangerous position right. by taking political stances against fossil fuels that have enabled our economy to grow to this point and, and are keeping the lights on. So how about this? If you allow terminals to be built by states and then you decide, well, you know, we're not going to have enough power to charge your Tesla or your Volt you could actually control the terminal. And instead of telling people, I'm asking you not to drive, you could tell them, we're not giving you any juice to drive. And we could also, you know that uh, when you have those smart homes where you walk in and say, put on the lights, lock the door. What if you say, put on the air conditioner, and it says no. I mean, you can, at the state level, have your house and your car turn on you, right? 
it's a it's a horrifying thought uh, that that something like that could uh, could happen in the United States of America. We're just not there yet, Neil. All of the above strategy in a capitalist society. I come in with a hybrid car that's going to get me more miles to the gallon. It's going to burn clean and be competitive money wise. I'm getting it. But if you're going to make me get a hybrid car or give me $25,000 worth of taxpayer money to get a car that when I can't get another one because I have to get my first one and then my battery technology, you tell me it's going to cost me the same amount to get a car, $20,000, as to get a new battery that's supposed to last between five and ten years but nobody really knows? And that's the life that Joe Biden is jamming down our throats? I am beyond outraged. Just final thought and advice to people listening. Let the markets work. Government, get out of the way. Let the engineers and the economists and, and, the, and the free market determine our energy future. Politicians, stop meddling. All you're doing is creating problems. Go get them, Neil. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. You got it. one 408 Remember, I'm going to be in Albany tonight. Few tickets left. Don't go to my website because it looks like it's sold out. There are some tickets left on the egg in Albany. Uh, And then I'll see you tonight live in about seven hours. I'll be on stage uh, talking about the news, talking about red, white, and blue. We're also following the Queen's health. Uh, They had the family scrambling to the hospital. It doesn't look good for the 96-year-old. More when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joe, it is now America's good fortune to have you as president. The country's better off than when you took office. When people ask me what I miss most about the White House years, it is not Air Force One that I talk about. Although I miss Air Force One. (laughs) What I love about Robert's work is that he paints people exactly the way they are. He also talked me out of wearing a tan suit. Uh, that's funny. Uh, listen, the, guy, the guy's got composure and the tan suit is terrible and he knows it. Uh, and, you know, the first lady is a great speaker and they totally outshine President Biden. And you almost feel bad for President Biden when President Obama shows up. Uh, Peter, listen on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Peter. Yeah, hi, Brian. Um, I was listening to this um, person you had, uh, you know, a little while ago, maybe half an hour. The energy secretary, yeah. Yeah, and um, he was going through all these um, things about why Republicans don't win or whatever, and then he picked up— Oh, Mark Thiessen, I'm sorry. Yeah, he picked up on Oz and whatnot and uh, said—he said something disparaging about the the other person that's, you know, ill. But— uh, you, you notice how we have to, uh, when I say we, um, the press is so one-sided. Of course, you have your show and, and these kind of shows, but they're not the Sunday show. It's not PBS. It's not ABC. It's not NBC. It's a, you know, there's like a million of those shows. They'll have on anybody that says Trump said this or said that. But Biden could almost say anything like he just said about MAGA. What if Trump said that about Democrats? It would be huge news. And, cry. Right. There would be panels all over the place on every channel. See, there's, it's not that way with the Republicans. They have to put two feet in a shoe, if you ever heard that expression, about everything. They're, 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 they're fighting from behind all the time because of the press. If the press was ever fair, it, it's more like propaganda. I swear it is. And I've It's getting it worse. For, and it, the it, thing it, is, too, you hear people on our channel 
uh, all the time going after saying Trump was wrong about this, Trump was wrong about the investigation, Trump, and people go crazy and they say, what are you doing? No, it's like you just got to call it. You might agree with Trump policies, but say, why'd you take the paperwork back to Mar-a-Lago? You'll never hear that on another channel. Oh, you know what I'm saying, though? Yeah. The, the uh, uh, overall press, they could get away with now, – now, you were saying uh, th- this person said about uh, 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 what uh, um, uh, Dr. Oz said about the other person, it was disparaging, right? But but Biden and the rest of them are disparaging every minute to Trump. Oh, yeah, they're doing it via social media and, and by the way, nonstop to Trump. I just think the attacks they have on Oz, they want to make him unworthy, actually, and they say he's unqualified. What do you mean he's unqualified? Oh, to be a politician, you're never supposed to be a professional politician. The Benjamin Franklins of the world were supposed to put their careers on hold and say, I got to serve. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve as vice president. I'd rather run a college. That's uh, Thomas Jefferson. You know, I, I'm going to serve as secretary of state, but I don't want to do it too long. Washington wanted to stay retired, didn't want to be a politician. He goes, all right, but I'm a businessman. I'm running my farm. I'm going to go back. I mean, that was the original intent. So Ben Carson says, hey, you know, I'm a brain surgeon. But I want to get back to the country. I, I think I'm a pretty smart guy. I, let me do your HUD secretary. Let me try to be president. I think I'd be well-rounded. I got an outstanding running back, businessman, Herschel Walker. I want to be want to be senator. What's wrong with that? That's kind of the way it's supposed to be, as opposed to a guy that does this 61 years and might have a better campaign speech. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.